0: Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbas of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review.
1: Three Martinis coming up.
0: And welcome. Glad you're with us on the Monday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Jim is here. I'm here. And uh, we have good, bad, and crazy martinis for you. And uh, Jim, you were at the Jets-Redskins game here locally um the Redskins did not look particularly good your Jets at one point were up 31 in that game so uh congratulations you got bragging rights over all DC for at least what three four years now four
1: years I was gonna say as listeners to this podcast know by and large a lot of this season for Jets fans has been an absolute poop sandwich but having said that having been said if I get to give grief to fans of the Dallas Cowboys the New York Giants and the Washington Redskins, the season's not a total loss. I can live very happily with that. But, you know, first game that I took my sons to. Uh, we all had a great time. Sorry if you're a Redskins fan. But, you know, I really appreciated those tickets that I was able to get dirt cheap because Redskins fans have given up on the season. Great weekend had by all.
0: Wow. So, I mean, last time we talked about a a Jets win, which was about a week ago, I said, well, you need to find more federal holidays. All you really need to do is get moved to the NFC East and then you're pretty much golden, right?
1: We're in the wrong conference. That's the only way I can explain
0: it. All right. Well, let's get on to the martinis now. As we said, good, bad and crazy. And uh, Jim, you mentioned saving a lot of money on tickets. Um, that's still a drop in the bucket compared to the kind of money that Federal Express, I guess officially known as FedEx, uh, spends pretty much uh, in any given second. But uh, FedEx is now in this huge fight with The New York Times because The New York Times decide to make FedEx the poster child of the corporation that just totally rips off the taxpayer by not paying federal taxes all thanks to Donald Trump making his rich cronies even richer. Here's a little bit of what the Times said. In the 2017 fiscal year, FedEx owed more than $1.5 billion in taxes. The next year, it owed nothing. What changed was the Trump administration's tax cut, for which the company had lobbied hard. The public face of its lobbying effort, Fred Smith, the CEO and... Founder uh, who repeatedly took to the airwaves to champion the power of tax cuts. If you make the United States a better place to invest, there's no question in my mind that we would see a renaissance of capital investment. Now, the New York Times claims that there wasn't that much reinvestment. Essentially, they gave the money back to the shareholders, and FedEx went from an effective tax rate of 34% in fiscal year 2017 to less than zero in 2018. So, FedEx did not take this lying down. Fred Smith. Chairman of FedEx, uh, actually challenging A.G. Sulzberger of the New York Times to a debate about tax policy. But then he went and pointed out that the New York Times also paid zero federal income tax in 2017 on earnings of $111 million and only $30 million in 2018, just 18% of their pre-tax book income. And here's the best part. Also in 2018, the New York Times cut their capital investments nearly in half to $57 million which equates to a rounding error when compared to the $6 billion of capital that FedEx invested in the U.S. economy during that same year. So, Jim, the billionaires are fighting back.
1: Well, yeah, but there, there are two things that I really like about this. The first is um, I, I'm struck by the number of businesses. Let's face it, we, we are not only in a populist moment, um, the, the concept of any pro-business Democrats has pretty much evaporated. You saw the reaction to... Uh, Uh, Howard Schultz, when he flirted with the idea of running for president, here's a guy who'd been a Democrat in good standing, but had the audacity to say that, you know, actually businesses are job creators. And getting that first job can make all the difference in the world for a teenager who's had some challenges in life. And they hated him. They, They tore him apart. All of a sudden, Stephen Colbert is telling jokes about how dirty the bathrooms are at Starbucks. And, you know, this free market system. Uh, which, by the way, being free market is not necessarily the same thing as being pro-business. but by and large, it's worked out pretty darn well for these corporations. It would be nice to see them stand up for the system that has enabled them to thrive so much. And so that when somebody comes along with a, one, inaccurate ac- accusation of, oh, these companies don't pay taxes, to one, stand up and correct them, but to defend their actions and point out the investments that they're making there. I want to see more of this. And obviously people think, you know, generally think, well, of FedEx. They always like to see those packages come to the door. Uh, sometimes you get Amazon stuff from them. You're like, oh, this is good. People generally, you know, people might hate big oil or big, you know, billionaire. actually remember Bernie Sanders used to say millionaires and billionaires in the big banks? Sure. Greg, do you notice he only says billionaires in the big banks now? <laughs> that's all right. Now that he's a millionaire, all of a sudden millionaires are cool now. That, that's fine. There's nothing wrong. Um, but one other point I, I noticed in that New York Times article talking about most of the money went to shareholders. <laughs> Has the New York Times ever heard of CalPERS, uh, which is the teachers union or public employees union out in California? My metaphorical brother in law, a professor at Boston University named David Weber, um, wrote a book called The Rise of the Working Class Shareholder Labor's Last Best Weapon. And we well, have a, lot, a whole bunch of unions have bought shares of stock in the companies that they represent, thus getting them a seat at the table during uh, shareholder meetings. They get a vote on who's on executive compensation. They get a vote on all kinds of other decisions about management of the company. And this is all perfectly legal. And for, for me, who's a free market guy, this is organized labor using it. To, it's not strikes. It's not violence. It's not, you know, uh, uh, angry protests. This is, a, hey, you know what? We've got resources in our pension fund. Let's use it to become shareholders in our own companies so we get a little more say of how it's done. And, oh, by the way, this means we have even more stake in seeing this company thrive. All of a sudden, unions want those uh, the, those dividend payments to be higher. So all of a sudden, so this is a good thing. So when we get oh, the shareholders are benefiting, well, what do you think the shareholders are? Are there millionaires and billionaires in the class? Yes, there are plenty of them. But there also are groups who are uh, uh, the, the great working class that The New York Times thinks that it's standing up for. So... Um, A double benefit here. I'm really glad to see this from Smith at FedEx. I hope other CEOs stand up for this. Um, And I I genuinely believe part of the reason you're seeing this populist moment, part of the reason you're seeing this uh, open, full-throated advocacy for socialism, people arguing that the American system has totally failed. I think there was some food writer who said it was obvious that our system had done no good ever, anywhere. Ever, anywhere, Greg. (laughs) Um, yeah, we go back to go back to examining the bullia base, pal. Um, that, that one of those things where you're like part of the problem is people are only hearing one side of the argument. And if the people who do create the jobs, the people who do create the products and do create the services, the people who who's like, hey, no, actually, you didn't see us invest two million in a new factory over here, or you didn't see us expand our workforce or give raises to our workers. Obviously, there was an effort right when the tax cuts came out for companies who were announcing these sorts of things. And look, getting good publicity over, of course, they want to get good publicity. But anyway, if you put more of that argument out there, people are less likely to say, ah, all those fat cats on Wall Street, they're the ones who get all the money. Um, and it would be good for everybody. So I, I salute FedEx. I salute uh, Mr. Smith. By the way, more than anything, I believe he was uh, briefly discussed as a running mate for John McCain back in 2008. So this was a guy who has been, uh, but it was all from military logistics. He got the idea for FedEx. And, you know, now it's a worldwide company, one of the biggest in the world.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. Jim, you were out, uh, what was it, a week or two ago, and Chad Benson and I were talking about uh, Bill Gates uh, being a little squeamish about uh, whether Elizabeth Warren might want $100 billion of his money ultimately through the wealth tax. And uh, one of the things we didn't mention at the time was uh, the Twitter response from the left to Bill Gates was essentially, what, $100 billion? You, You think that's too much? So there's literally no amount of money that the left doesn't want to take from people that it considers, quote unquote, the rich. And I think it was the Wall Street Journal and and maybe some uh, private groups that estimated that the Elizabeth Warren plan would be taxing some rich people 146 percent, which, of course, gives them tremendous incentive to keep doing what they're doing.
1: Almost none of this comes from concern over the deficit and the debt. If it was, we could at least give them a little bit of credit for that. A lot of this is, hey, you're rich and I hate you. Right? I think it was uh, Adam Carolla who likes to do this anecdote about how You know, Americans used to see a fancy car driving down the street and the father would say to his son, son, if you work hard someday, you'll uh, you'll drive a car like that, too. Now, you know, the car drives down the street and the father says to his son, we hate that guy because he's got a fancy car. and We see see no way we can ever live that kind of lifestyle. It is not a good trend in American life and good for those who are pushing against it. All
0: right. Let's talk about our bad martini now, Jim. And there's, I think, a reason that the royal family in the UK doesn't do a lot of interviews. And uh, we're finding out, again, uh, why that's probably the case. Prince Andrew, of course, has been linked to Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, we knew it before the Amy Robach tape, but she specifically talked about how the, the palace had intervened, uh, threatened them with not being able to interview Will and Kate, because obviously that's way more important than uh, clamping down on one of the most prolific pedophiles in, in, in the history. But Prince Andrew's looking to clear his name. Uh, Just the fact that he decided to do this interview with the BBC, his publicist quit, which tells you how confident he was that his boss was going to do a good job here. Prince Andrew, uh, a bizarre interview. The one we don't have the clip of is when he was accused of uh, uh, getting a little too up close and personal with a woman in a dance club and sweating all over. And he said, that's not possible because I don't sweat. I was a fighter pilot in the Falkland Islands War, and because of the harrowing experience, I sweat then. I don't sweat now, because nothing ever compares to that experience. Then when it came to uh, Jeffrey Epstein...
1: Greg, Greg, isn't it that he said he he didn't sweat for a while, but now he sweats again? He has somehow magically (laughs) regained the ability to sweat... Huh. that he did not have when he was meeting with these, uh, uh, allegedly meeting with these underage women.
0: Yes, yes. Very, very convincing uh, testimony here from uh, Prince Andrew. But uh, So he does this interview with the BBC, and uh, he swears up and down that he never met the uh, underage accuser, this Virginia Roberts that uh, Amy Robach had interviewed. Here's the uh, exchange. You don't remember meeting her, no. but you were staying at the house of yes. a convicted sex offender. It was a convenient place to stay. I mean, mean, I've gone through this in my mind so many times. At the end of the day, um, uh, um, with the benefit of all the hindsight that one could have, um, it was definitely the wrong thing to do. Did you spend a lot of time with that hindsight? Was that a tough call there? Uh, But here's how he followed up that answer with uh, why he ultimately stayed at Epstein's place. But at the time, I felt it it was the honorable and right thing to do. And I I admit fully that 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 my judgment was probably coloured by my um, tendency to be too honourable. I hung out with the convicted sex offender because I'm too honourable,
1: Jim. The gall on this guy. Rest once, Greg. There first of all on the whole I don't I didn't sweat then and since then I've regained the human ability to sweat but for a while I did not have the capacity to sweat doesn't that like picture you're watching a bad sitcom and the, the nerdy protagonist has been caught peeking in the girl's room or something it was something something like he he wasn't supposed to do it. and the character has to lie and he's trying to come up with the, this is the sort of thing they would come up on those kind of cheesy stories oh I don't sweat I'm incapable of sweating. I I lost the ability to sweat in war, but you're sweating now. But I gained it back somewhere between then and now. you know. But then the whole, like, this reflects that I'm too honorable. It's a really unique defense to deploy when you are accused of engaging in sleeping with underage prostitutes. This is really bad. Now, what's really kind of interesting is people noted that over in in the UK, uh, whatever controversies have embroiled the royal family... Usually they've been of, dare I say, a more routine adultery uh, affairs sort of matter. And then they go and you kind of do what we used to, you know, used to be the tearful Barbara Walters interview, right? You'd go on there and say, Barbara, I've made mistakes and I regret so much what I've done to my family and how I've put them, you know, or or Bill Clinton with 60 Minutes interview with Hillary Clinton, you know, like we've seen the tearful confession and in a lot of cases that can do a person a lot of good. It occasionally backfires, Gary Tondit comes to mind, but... This one has to be one of the most spectacular ones um, because his idea is that it's again, again, like everyone else, he had no idea that there was this reputation that somehow, like, somehow everybody around Jeffrey Epstein knew that he was engaged in underage prostitution ring, except the people who are hanging out with him. Now, the only way this could have gone worse, Greg, is if he just blurted out at one point, Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. <laughs> at least then he probably would have said something was true. Now I'm just kidding. We don't know it yet. This was bad. This was a really bad interview. And it's one of those things where I jokingly said, we've already rebelled against the British crown, but can we do it again just to emphasize the point? Because the monarchy has you know, only the most um, ceremonial role in the, the UK government anymore. Every once in a while, there'll be a poll and there'll be a significant percentage of, of folks over in the UK who want to get rid of the monarchy, who don't see it as having much of a point. And as long as you're going out and doing you know, raising money for good causes or calling attention to, you know, Princess Di doing her stuff on landmines, by and large, the British public is going to be fine with it. But if you're engaging in stuff like this, they're going to want to get rid of the monarchy pretty darn fast. But it's okay because, you know, uh, Fergie, the Duchess of York, was over in Saudi Arabia talking about how warm and welcoming everyone was. (laughs) Uh, It wasn't a place where she felt judged. Chop Chop Square in Saudi Arabia was where she did not feel judged.
0: Yeah, for those of you who don't follow the family tree uh, with the royals, that's uh, the ex wife of Prince Andrew. Doesn't fork. <laughs> it doesn't fork a lot. And she's the ex wife of, of, of Andrew, yet they still live together or something like that. Well, when he's not hanging out with Jeffrey Epstein anyway. But uh, two thoughts immediately came to my mind after this, Jim. One was the queen summoning 007 for another job.
1: Uh, <laughs> I expect your ultimate discretion, 007. (laughs) And the other
0: is um, you and I, of course, are uh, happily satisfied with where we are employed. But, you know, the the great uh, job interview question is, what would you say is your biggest weakness? I think (laughs) I'm too honorable has got to be right up there, right?
1: I'm so honorable that I hang around those who are running underage prostitution rings. And, you know, it's I'm I'm just too forgiving. I'm too easygoing about such things. The sheer number of my friends who are sex offenders is probably my biggest flaw. Next. okay, thank you. Thanks for coming in.
0: Okay, on to uh, our crazy martini now and on to the Democratic race for the presidential nomination in 2020. And. Jim, as I think we've uh, at least referenced in the past few days, uh, Pete Buttigieg is doing quite well in Iowa now. There's a recent poll that had him up nine at 25 percent and the next closest at 16 percent. Not doing so great in the other early states, particularly South Carolina. And one of the reasons there is because he's having a very tough time finding any traction with black voters, which make up a big part of the Democratic electorate, particularly in the South. And uh, he's got problems on that front. There's racial issues going on with the police force and and, uh, elsewhere in in the city of South Bend. That kind of blew up in his face uh, a few months ago. And so as a result, Buttigieg rightly has discovered that if he's going to win this nomination, he's got to make some inroads in the black community. So he's put together this thing called the Douglas Plan, which is his effort to bring about racial equality. And it's uh, largely affirmative action in a number of ways. It mandates a certain number of contracts have to go to minorities. There's health care provisions, all sorts of other things. And so he released the Frederick Douglass plan. And according to The Intercept, uh, he put out a list of 400 black South Carolinians that endorse him or his plan. And so the bottom line here is uh, 42 percent of the people on this list of 400 are actually white, Uh, Most of them, or at least many of them, did not actually publicly endorse him, but the campaign gave them the option to opt out of the endorsement if they got back to them soon enough. And then they ended up using stock photos from Kenya to explain how they were going to implement this plan and bring about greater racial equality. So, Jim, there's no shortage of candidates for the Democratic nomination who have been stepping on rakes all over this campaign season and proving themselves absolutely not ready for prime time. Now it looks like it's Mayor Pete's turn.
1: Yeah, it, it's really kind of surprising and odd. I don't think they teach that at McKinsey. <laughs> um, and let's also point out that like anybody who can read a poll, anybody who can look at it and say, OK, so we've got a candidate who is doing uh, pretty darn well amongst big Democratic donors, obviously being the first gay presidential candidate is really getting people excited um, you know, there, there are a couple of people talking about the beer track candidates and the wine track candidates, and a couple of people even argued that Bud Edge was kind of the, uh, you know, artisan microbrew candidate. Um, but fine. So there's certain demographics he needs to do better amongst. You can't become the Democratic nominee unless you've got at least a certain level of support amongst African Americans. Well, so you know, this matters. This is important. If you really want to win, you got to bring your A game for this. You really don't want to rush and half-ass your way through every outreach effort to African-Americans in a Democratic primary. And you know what that starts with? Just checking your Photoshop, just just checking your, your stock photo supply of where, who you're taking pictures of. I mean, the other thing is also like, wouldn't you love to start with as many African-American supporters as you've got? Now, if you're Pete Edge, maybe you don't have it, but you're telling me nobody back in South Bend can talk about what a great mayor he was? Not a single one? You can't find any African-American lawmakers across the country who have endorsed him? Really? None of his old buddies from the military? There was a, there's wasn't. got to be some Oxford uh, Oxford African-American classmates. There's got to be some Harvard African-American. There's got to be somebody African-American who knew this guy and liked him and could talk about a great guy he this. And start there, right? And for all those folks who would endorse, like, again – Don't put. Don't say. Look, um, because I've heard from some people who have these sorts of like reporters who will do this outreach for a quote. Hey, my deadline is in an hour. Uh, If you don't get back to me, I'm just going to say you did not respond to a comment. Well, maybe that you know. Here's the. If you know, I think you got to give people at least a day, right? People have lives. People have busy. Unless you're dealing with a press secretary or somebody whose job is to answer questions from reporters all day by and large people get busy they got stuff going on you know they're just they may or may not be able to check their messages they may or you know they may prefer email instead of phone or you know whatever so if you, you know, if you want people to endorse you in a particular way or endorse a particular plan take the time to check what if you waited another half a week to a week were you gonna lose all your all the progress of this this is be, this is being extremely short-sighted this is not seeing the the, the, uh, the, the forest for the trees. Um, is this going to cost Edge that much? I don't know. I mean, if and when he really becomes a threat to anybody, and somebody pointed out, you know, outside of, he's doing great in Iowa. He's still not quite there in all those subsequent states. The moment Pete Edge actually is a threat to somebody, then this will turn into a big issue. And then you'll see other candidates starting to bring this up, and it'll begin to look like, look, it's not just, this is not a candidate who doesn't appeal to African American Democrats. This is a candidate surrounded by people in his campaign who have no idea how to appeal to African-American Democrats. And it's going to look like a fair criticism after something like this.
0: Jim, how big is the bullseye going to be on Mayor Pete on Wednesday? That's our next Democratic presidential
1: debate. Are you kidding me? It's that soon? Wow. Um, look, <laughs> well, with, with all this excitement, who can forget? Um, and, you know, they have. OK, I do remember this because Julian Castro has not made the stage. So technically, he's, he's like he's not Shyamalan character. <laughs> um he was dead all along he just didn't know it and uh we've got you know i told he did make it so there's that excitement but um yeah you know i think probably if he he could with this lead in iowa um and again this might help biden who's again not turned in some spectacular debate performances the last few times but there's been enough you know criticism coming at warren enough criticism coming at everybody else uh that biden might manage to come through unscathed because let's face it you know the 30-something mayor of South Bend is not the most natural uh, choice for, you know, oh, this is, this. you know, people say, oh, this guy's the next president we should definitely have. Him. He will be
0: on the defensive. He was on the offensive a lot against Elizabeth Warren. So uh, don't be surprised if she throws a couple of sharp elbows in there. And um... A
1: valedictorian against the angry professor.
0: <laughs> it's a showdown that had to happen at some point, and now it will. Jim, congratulations again on the Jets, and uh, we'll talk again tomorrow.
1: Thank you. I just want to quote. Do you know, we can expect a lot of on Wednesday? What? I just want to say in conclusion, Barack.
0: <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Well, wait till he and uh, Duvall get up there. That'll be that'll be fun if Duvall ever gets up there. Anyway, he's Jim. I'm Greg. Thank you for being with us today. Have a great day and join us again Tuesday for the next three martini lunch. In the meantime, please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a great review, and we'll see you tomorrow.